16. Begin reading in verse number 20. John chapter 16 and verse number 20. Let's all stand to our feet, if we could please, this morning in honor of the Word of God. John chapter 16 and verse number 20. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now, therefore, have sorrow. But I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice. And your joy, no man taketh from you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please speak to hearts. Help me, Lord, I am weak. I long for the power of God on this service. And what I cannot do and what I cannot say, please speak through your Spirit to your people and help me to stay out of the way. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning in all the ways that we need. We pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name. And Amen. You can be seated. The Bible tells us earlier in the beginning of this chapter, that his disciples began to feel sorrow. The reason that they began to feel sorrow is because Jesus has just informed them that he's got to leave and that he will suffer greatly. They don't yet understand his resurrection. That has not settled in and it has not quite been revealed to them yet by the Holy Spirit. They don't get it yet. So... For now, they struggle. They know what He has told them. That the one whom they loved, that they got to walk side by side with and hear the very voice of God was leaving and in violent fashion. That His life would be taken before His time as the prophets had said cut off before his time. They begin to feel great sorrow while he is still with them. And he explains to them that this sorrow will continue for a little while. But that they will one day be delivered of it. They don't quite understand everything that he's saying. They're trying their best to trust him, but 
from this point forward in John 16 until we get to the end of the book of John, we see their humanity like we have not quite seen it yet in their lives. What is about to happen in the lives of the disciples and of, especially of the twelve apostles that follow Jesus Christ is so earth-shattering and is so unusual that everything we knew about them before this begins to get tested. Peter, who said he would never deny Christ and who says that he would never turn his back on Him, does exactly that. Thomas, who walked right alongside of him, begins to doubt. Mary goes to the tomb with tears, not understanding what's happening. They're all tested. And they don't understand what it is that they're dealing with. All they know is that they're in great sorrow. And the Bible says in verse number 20 that Jesus told them, Ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And what He was prophesying was that when His life was taken, that they would be in great sorrow, even greater than they were feeling now, but that the world who took His life, who didn't believe that He was the Son of God, that the world would rejoice over the fact that that, that bane of their existence was now finally gone. There would be a great contrast between the way His people were feeling and the way the rest of the world was feeling. And sometimes even today, as Christians, while we live in this life, we see a great contrast between what the world is dealing with and what we are dealing with. But Christian, unfortunately, and I intend at some point to try to be an encouragement, but we have to kind of start here. Everybody, if the Lord tarries His coming, will for one reason or another experience sorrow. Sometimes great sorrow. Sorrow doesn't always necessarily come because of the loss of a loved one, although I, I think of this this morning. Some are in town even today for someone that we love dearly and has been a big part of our church's history, Miss Shirley Childers. And they will, some of them, deal again with the sorrow of the loss of a loved one. Some of you have dealt with that as well. But sorrow comes for different reasons. God spoke to the children of Israel in the Old Testament about how that they were dealing with great sorrow because of their judgment. You see, they had been under great sin and had rejected God. And then the Bible talks about their sorrow being as a woman in travail. That they would be under the judgment of God and that because of that, that they would also have great sorrow. Sorrow comes for a lot of different reasons in our lives. Sometimes it can be the loss of blood ones. Sometimes it can be something we bring upon ourselves and some of the mistakes that we make. Sometimes sorrow is just a part of life. Sometimes we have sorrow over the loss of a job or sometimes we have sorrow over family problems. Sorrow is unfortunately a natural way of life in this fallen world. And as I said a little bit ago, unfortunately, if the Lord tarries His coming, nobody will escape some form of sorrow. I want to preach to you 
on this subject this morning to the best of my ability. The time between the beginning of your sorrow and the beginning of your joy. The time between the beginning of your sorrow and the beginning of your joy. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray again that you would please anoint this place with your Holy Spirit power and help as only you can. This is your service. These are your people. I'm trying my best to be your mouthpiece. This belongs to you. Please do what only you can. I need it and we need it. We pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. I want to say first of all, as I try to explain what I believe the Lord has given me concerning the beginning of your sorrow and the beginning of your joy. I want to say first of all that sorrow is not a sin. Sometimes when we go through hardship in life, we as Christians are taught so much to suck it up and move on and have faith that sometimes I believe something has crept into Christianity, which is that it's not right to be sad. It's not right to feel sorrow. And sometimes we beat ourselves up when we have dealt with hard situations in life or the loss of somebody that we love, and we're down on ourselves because we feel sorrow and we think God would not have me to be sorry. And I want to say that I don't believe that's true. You know, Jesus, when He began His first real sermon on the mount, when He began His first real sermon to His people, He said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He didn't condemn His people from mourning and feeling sorrow. He said that what He would do as a result of their sorrow is that He would bless them and that He would comfort them. Are you okay? He didn't preach against their sorrow. He didn't say, well, you just need to suck it up and move past it. And y'all, can I just say, that doesn't help anybody when you tell somebody who's dealing with great sorrow in their life to say, well, why don't you just suck it up and move past it? It doesn't help anything. We can't always understand why it is that some people deal with sorrow the way that they do. It might be different from the way that we deal with it. Everybody has to go through their hard times in life with their own journey with God, and we cannot condemn it. It is not a sin to feel sorrow. Christian, yes, we have great hope, but while you live in this flesh, there are going to be burdens, and there's nothing wrong with you feeling that. And I don't know if that helps at all, but I just want to say it. That you don't need to beat yourself up because you feel hurt. That you don't need to condemn yourself because sometimes you feel lost. It's okay. It's normal. It's natural and God understands it. Sorrow is not a sin. Matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter number 57, in the midst of Israel's judgment, God makes a very interesting statement. He says essentially that in the midst of all of this great judgment, that yes, the unrighteous are dying, 
but so are the righteous. And he says this about the righteous. The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. He first condemns the nation of Israel for not recognizing good men when they've passed. He says nobody sees it. No man lays it to heart. They don't even understand what's happening. And they're not paying attention to the righteous that are perishing. And in the world that we live today, the world will become more and more our enemy if we stay and try to stay right with God. And the truth is that the world probably won't care about the sorrow that you face. They'll only care about the sorrow that they face. But we, as God's people, should never be guilty of passing by another righteous man and not considering the fact that when he has passed that we should pay attention to it and note it and be sorrowful about it. It should bother us when a great saint of God goes home. It's okay. It's okay when you lose a loved one to feel sorry. It's okay to have sorrow. God actually condemns those that have no sorrow when good men pass. But here's what God says about sorrow for the Christian in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. He doesn't tell us not to sorrow. I don't believe that's what he's saying because I believe that that would be in contradiction of the Scripture. He understands that we as a natural human being will naturally sorrow over those that we love. But he says we don't have sorrow as the world has it. The world has sorrow without hope. And when you go and see the funeral of somebody that has died without Jesus Christ and you hear the mourning and the grieving and there's absolutely no hope and nothing to be said other than that they are gone. It's a terrible type of sorrow. But you take that same crowd of believers and put them in a room of somebody that has been lost, that they love, that they know has gone on to see the Lord. And there is sorrow, and it is normal, and it is a part of the grieving process, and it is not a sin, but we don't sorrow without any hope. We have attached to our sorrow a little glimmer of hope that gives us a peace that passes all understanding. It's natural in a fallen world to have sorrow. None will escape it. And I want to say that sorrow is not a sin. It's normal. Secondly, sorrow can begin with a source, but then we can become the source. Sorrow can begin with a source, but then... If we're not careful, we can become the source. You see, 
from this point forward, as you read through the lives of the apostles, I believe that we are seeing that even when they begin to hear the truth that Jesus Christ has raised from the dead, they can't believe it. And their behavior is still struggling. Thomas says, except I can put my fingers in the nail prints, and except I can put my hand in his side, I won't believe it. Yes? Now, I can't prove this. I don't know this. It's just my own opinion. But I think very possibly once you get over into what chapter is that? John chapter 21, where Peter says, I go a-fishing and others went with him. In my opinion, I think they're just kind of still dealing with this new life. This new reality. And what's crazy about it is they've already seen Jesus. He has appeared to them a couple of times already in different places. But yet their lives just haven't quite come around all the way yet. Are you with me? And it doesn't seem to be until the latter part of John chapter 21 when Jesus is standing there and they're out fishing and they catch nothing all night long. Peter goes back to his old lifestyle. And he's out there. I think he's a little bit backslidden. He's got his clothes off in the fishing boat. Why he needs to do that, I have never understood. I don't have a clue what's going on with Peter's mind right now. And y'all, there, there is one of those in all of our families and in all of our churches. And I mean, crazy things will happen and you're like, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Peter was that kind of guy. I mean, why does he have to put his robe about him? Because he's naked. And he jumps into the water. Why is he jumping in the water? Some people say he's trying to get to the shore as fast as he can. But he's still in the boat when they get to the shore. I think he jumped in the water because he was embarrassed he was naked. I think Peter's a little backslidden. I think he's, he's still struggling. And what's crazy is, he has seen Jesus twice. So Jesus being gone was the source of his sorrow. And rightfully so. Wouldn't you say? But then at some point, the sorrow detached from the source and just attached to him. And this is when sorrow becomes unhealthy. When no matter what anybody else tells us, and no matter what the truth is in front of us, we can't see anything but our sorrow. <coughs> sorrow is not a sin. And sorrow often begins with a source, but if we're not careful, we can become the source. And when we become the source of our sorrow, we begin to have doubts and fears and troubles that we were not intended to have, but we get in our own way and we allow our sorrow to overcome us instead of the reality of the hope that Jesus intended to attach to His saints being able to settle into their hearts. In other words, they just couldn't see beyond their own sorrow even though the source of it was gone. Are you with me? And Christian, can I say this? We have to be careful about holding on to something that we already have answers for. It's okay to feel sorrow. 
But it's not always okay to hang on to it to the point that you can't get past it no matter what. That's when it begins to harm you. And can I say this? It hinders your progress. Peter needed to become the great preacher of the day of Pentecost, but he couldn't get there until something else happened. First of all, sorrow is not a sin. It's normal. Sorrow can begin with a source, but if we're not careful, we can become the source. And when we become the source, it can begin to hinder all of our progress in life. It can begin to hinder our relationships around us. It can begin to hinder our joy. It can, it can steal things from you that nothing else can. It can become a companion that you become so familiar with you almost feel like it would be wrong to live without it. And you're like, yeah, but no matter what kind of help God tries to give, it can become a yeah, but. And when we get to the place where our sorrow becomes a companion that we almost feel guilty to let go of, we have come to a place where we are not only hindered in our growth, but hindered in our joy, hindered in every other aspect of life. And I want to say this, God does not intend for us to stay there. It is okay to move on and find some peace again. But you know, here's what happens, and it's crazy. But while you're dealing with your sorrow, if you fellowship and walk with God continuously through that, or at least try, you will find peace and rest and comfort from Him in the midst of that valley that later on when He tries to deliver you from it, you miss. Only a few people understand what I just said but you found a place with Him where He was comforting you and helping you with your sorrow. And the fellowship, even though it, it didn't come because of the things that you wanted it to come for, you found a closeness and a fellowship with God that was so deep and so real that you almost began to wonder if you were supposed to stay there so that you could always experience that closeness. Sorrow became your companion instead of God Himself. Now hear me out. I'm not condemning. I cannot, I cannot say that I have dealt with the sorrow that some in this room have dealt with. I cannot say that. But I can say that I've dealt with this type of sorrow. And you almost become dependent on it because it drives you to your knees before the Lord and you're like, man, if, if, if I have to lose that closeness with God, I don't want to lose this. So I'm hanging on to it. And the reality is, 
that Peter didn't lose it until he was finally able to see Jesus through all the clouds again. Do you know it wasn't until the third time that Jesus appeared that Peter finally got some relief? The third time. The beginning of John chapter 21, the Bible says, and this is the third time now that Jesus has appeared unto them. <laughs> and man, sometimes he shows up and he's trying to relieve you from all of your pain and, and there's just something so deep inside of you that feels so wrong to let it go that you just can't. Sometimes it was a mistake so deep and so hard and you fell so far that you feel like, man, I'm never worth it. I'm never going to be worthy of His forgiveness. I, I've just got to stay here. And maybe if I stay down and humble, God can use me again. And I want to say that no matter how you got there, God didn't intend for you to stay there. He needs you and wants you to be able to move on because the progress that can be made after your sorrow is so much greater than what he was ever able to do with you before. When Peter is finally able to be released of this, what happens? The day of Pentecost takes place. And Peter does finally go on with great joy that we cannot possibly understand. Even so much that he never denied Jesus again. And he went to the cross himself and lost his own life. And he did it with joy. That doesn't make sense. Except he found a place with Christ where Christ became his companion after the sorrow that he had experienced in that he no longer felt guilty about moving past what had happened in the past. He was now going to allow God to flood his heart and mind with the joy that he wanted him to have now. And now Peter becomes greatly useful again. You know one of the greatest tools that Satan uses against God's people so that we stay useless. It's this whisper in your ear. That keeps you down and prevents you from progress. It's not wrong to move on. Peter couldn't be used again until he moved on. And you know what brought him there? When he finally, in my opinion, when he finally let go of his sorrow over betraying Christ. You see, I don't think Peter's sorrow was only the loss of a loved one. I think it was a great sin. And man, some Christians, God is trying to move you past it and He's come to you the first time and you didn't move past it. And He's come to you the second time and you didn't move past it. And now He's speaking to you again and saying, look, that was a great failure. I know it. But do you love me? Then let's move past this. Let's move past this and go feed my sheep and do the work that I called you to. There's still family members to be helped. There's still church members to be influenced. There's still lost souls that need to be saved. You've got to be useful again. Peter, 
Go do what I called you to, son. He's looking Jesus in the face and he can't move past it. The sorrow detached from the source and he became the sorrow. He let it get so deeply ingrained in him he became useless. And Christian, you are not useless. There is room for you to be used again. Past your failure. Past your loss. There's room for it again. Can I say that what you learned during your sorrow can be the springboard for what's next or the anchor that keeps you from it. Your sorrow can be the springboard for what's next or the anchor that keeps you from it. Don't let it steal your joy, your fruitfulness, your determination and drive, your will to live. Companion sorrow can drive us right out of, the, out of God's will. And Peter nearly left God's will permanently. If it hadn't be, if it hadn't have been for that third time that Jesus appeared and he found his companionship in Christ again instead of in his sorrow. What I'm saying is, look unto Jesus and let Him relieve you of this. It can be the birth of something new that brings renewed joy if our hope rests in the right things. Look at it if you would please again in John chapter 16. And look at verse number 22. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice. And your joy no man taketh from you. This is it and I'm done. The joy that we can find after great sorrow can lead to a stronger, more stable joy that can never be removed. If we find it in the right source. In other words, before sometimes we go through these heavy moments of our lives, we have a form of joy but as you go through sorrow, as you go through sorrow and God teaches you deeper reliance upon Him and greater joy from Him beyond your circumstances, what can end up happening is that on the flip side of this, the joy that you now have, which is where God intends you to live, in joy, not sorrow, the joy that you learn to find on the other side of all of this, can end up being so much more stable 
that nothing else can remove it ever again. Because you've grown so much during that time that when you were able to find joy through that again, it sticks. But again, it has to come from the right source. You have to find your joy in Him again. Everything else will take care of itself. The time between the beginning of our sorrow and the beginning of our joy. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please do the work this morning that only you can do. Holy Spirit, please help your people. I pray that you would save the soul that is nearest hell. Revive the hearts of the hurting. Comfort and give peace. With heads bowed and eyes closed.